Chapter Eight of the Road to Understanding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Road to Understanding by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Eight. Diverging Ways. Of course, the inevitable happened. However near two roads may be at the start, if they diverge ever so slightly and keep straight ahead, there is bound to be in time all the world between them. In the case of Burke and Helen, their roads never started together at all. They merely crossed, and at the crossing came the wedding. They were miles apart at the start, miles apart in tastes, traditions, and environment. In one respect only were they alike, undisciplined self-indulgence, a likeness that meant only added differences when it came to the crossing, and that made it all the more nearly impossible to merge those two diverging roads into one wide way leading straight on to wedded happiness. All his life Burke had consulted no one's will but his own. It was not easy now to walk when he wanted to sit still, nor to talk when he wanted to read, especially as the one who wanted to walk and to talk happened to be a willful young person who all her life had been in the habit of walking and talking when she wanted to. Burke, accustomed from babyhood to leaving his belongings wherever he happened to drop them, was first surprised and then angry that he did not find them magically restored to their proper places as in the days of his boyhood and youth. Burke abhorred disorder. Helen, accustomed from her babyhood to being picked up after, easily drifted into the way of letting all things, both hers and his, lie as they were. It saved a great deal of work. Even so simple a matter as the temperature of a sleeping room had its difficulties. Burke liked air. He wanted the windows wide open. Helen, trained to think night air was damp and dangerous, wanted them shut. And when two people are sleepy, cross, and tired, it's appalling what a range of woe can lie in the mere opening and shutting of a window. Burke was surprised, annoyed, and dismayed. Being unaccustomed to disappointments, he did not know how to take them gracefully. This being married was not proving to be at all the sort of thing he had pictured to himself. He had supposed that life, married life, was to be a new wonder every day, an increasing delight every hour. It was neither. Living now was a matter of never-ending adjustment, self-sacrifice, and economy, and he hated them all. In spite of himself, he was getting into debt, and he hated debt. It made a fellow feel cheap and mean. Even Helen was not what he had thought she was. He was ashamed to own it, even to himself. But there was a good deal about Helen that he did not like. She was not careful about her appearance. She was actually almost untidy at times. He hated those loose, sloppy things she sometimes wore. And he abominated those curl-paper things in her hair. 
she was willful and fretful and she certainly did not know how to give a fellow a decent meal or a comfortable place to stay for his part he did not think a girl had any right to marry until she knew something about running a home then there was her constant chatter was she not ever going to talk about anything but the silly little everyday happenings of her work a fellow wanted to hear something when he came home tired at night besides complaints that the range didn't work or that the grocer forgot his order or that the money was out why helen used to be good company cheerful often witty where were her old-time sparkle and radiance her talk now was a meaningless chatter of trivial things or an irritating wailing complaint of everything under the sun chiefly revolving around the point of how different everything was from what she expected great scott as if he had not found some things different that evidently was what marriage was different but talking about it all the time did not help any couldn't she read but then if she did read it would be only the newspaper account of the latest murder and then she would want to talk about that she never read anything worth while and it was for this this being married to helen that he had given up so much dad his home everything she didn't appreciate it helen didn't she did not rightly estimate what he was being made to suffer that there was any especial meaning in all this that he himself should take to heart that there was any course open to him but righteous discontent and rebellion never occurred to burke his training of frosted cakes and toy shotguns had taught him nothing of the traditional two bears bear and forbear the marriage ceremony had not meant to him to be patient tender and sympathetic it had meant the i will of self-assertion not the i will of self-discipline that helen ought to change many of her traits and habits he was convinced that there might be some in himself that needed changing or that the mere fact of his having married helen might have entailed upon himself certain obligations as to making the best of what he had deliberately chosen did not once occur to him as for helen helen was facing her own disillusions she was not trying now to be the dainty gowned wife welcoming her husband to a well-kept home she had long since decided that that was impossible on sixty dollars a month she was tired of being a martyr wife even the laurel wreath of praise had lost its allurement she would not get it probably even if she earned it and anyway she would be dead from trying to get it and for her part she would rather have some fun while she was living but she wasn't having any fun things were so different everything was different she had not supposed being married was like this one long grind of housework from morning till night and for a man who did not care and burke did not care now once the first thing he wanted when he came home into the house was a kiss and a word from her now he wanted his dinner and he was so fussy too she could get along with cold things but he wanted hot ones and lots of them and he always wanted finger bowls and lots of spoons and everything fixed just so on the table too he said it wasn't that he wanted style it was just that he wanted things decent as if she hadn't had 
things decent herself and without all that fuss and clutter after dinner he never wanted to talk now or to go to walk he just wanted to read or study he said he was studying something about his work as if once he would have cared more for any old work than for her and she was so lonely there was nobody now for her to be with mrs jones had moved away and there were never any callers now she had returned every one of the calls she had had from burke's fine friends she had put on her new red dress and her best hat with the pink roses and she had tried to be just as bright and entertaining as she knew how to be but they never came again so of course she could not go to see them she had gone once or twice but burke said she must not do that it was not proper to return your own calls if they wanted to see her they would come themselves but they never came probably anyhow they did not want to see her and that was the trouble not that she cared they were a stuck-up lot anyway and she was just as good as they were she had told one woman so once the woman that carried her eyeglasses on the end of a little stick and stared that woman always had made her mad so it was just as well perhaps that they did not come any more after all burke was ashamed of her anyway when they did come she knew that he did not like anything she did nowadays he was always telling her he did wish she would stop saying you was or holding her fork like that or making so much noise eating soup and a dozen other things as if nobody in the house had a right to do anything but his way it had been so different at home there everything she did was just right and she was never lonely there were the parties and the frolics and the sleigh rides and the girls running in all the time and the boys every evening on the porch or in the parlor or taking her buggy riding nothing there was ever complete without her while here well who supposed being married meant working like a slave all day and being cooped up all evening with a man whose nose was buried in a book and who scarcely spoke to you and there was the money burke acted for all the world as if he thought she ate money and ate it whether she was hungry or not just to spite him as if she didn't squeeze every penny till it fairly shrieked now and as if anybody could make ten dollars a week go further than she did to be sure at first she had been silly and extravagant running up bills and borrowing of mrs jones as she did and of course she was a little unreasonable and childish about keeping that account book but that was only at the first when she was quite ignorant and inexperienced it was very different now she kept a cash account and most of the time it came right how she wished she had an allowance but burke utterly refused to give her that said she'd be extravagant and spend it all the first day as if she had not learned better than that by bitter experience and as if anything could be worse than the way they were trying to get along now with her teasing for money all the time and him insisting on seeing the bills and then asking how they could manage to eat so many eggs and saying he should think she used butter to oil the floors with he didn't see how it could go so fast any other way and wasn't he always telling her she did not manage right and didn't he give her particular fits one day and an awful lecture on wastefulness 
just because he happened to find half a loaf of moldy bread in the jar just as if he didn't spend something and a good big something too on all those cigars he smoked yet he flew into fits over a bit of moldy bread of hers to be sure when she cried he called himself a brute and said he didn't mean it and it was only because he hated so to have her pinching and saving all the time that it made him mad raving mad just as if she was to blame that they did not have any money but she was to blame of course in a way if it had not been for her he would be living at home with all the money he wanted sometimes it came to her with sickening force that maybe burke was thinking that too was he could it be that he was sorry he had married her very well her chin came up proudly he need not stay if he did not want to he could go but the chin was not so high now he was all there was she had nobody but burke now could it be she believed she would ask dr gleason sometime she liked the doctor he had been there several times now and she felt real well acquainted with him perhaps he would know but after all she was not going to worry she did not believe that really burke wished he had not married her it was only that he was tired and fretted with his work it would be better by and by when he had got ahead a little and of course he would get ahead they would not always have to live like this it was in march that burke came home to dinner one evening with a radiant face yet with an air of worried excitement it's dad he sent for me he explained in answer to his wife's questions sent for you yes he isn't very well brett says he wants to see me Humph. after all this time i wouldn't go a step if i was you helen not go to my father helen quaked a little under the fire in her husband's eyes but she held her ground i don't care he's treated you like dirt you know he has i know he's sick and has sent for me and i know i'm going to him that's enough for me to know at present retorted the man getting to his feet and leaving his dinner almost untasted half an hour later he appeared before her freshly shaved and in the radiant good humor that seems to follow a bath and fresh garments as a natural consequence come chicken give us a kiss he cried gaily and don't sit up for me i may be late my but ain't we fixed up pouted helen jealously i should think you was going to see your best girl i am laughed burke boyishly dad was my best girl till i got you good-bye i'm off good-bye helen's lips still pouted and her eyes burned somberly as she sat back in her chair outside the house burke drew a long breath and yet a longer one it seemed as if he could not inhale deeply enough the crisp bracing air then with an eager stride that would cover the distance in little more than half the usual time he set off toward elm hill there was only joyous anticipation in his face now the worry was all gone after all had not brett said that this illness of dad's was nothing serious for a week burke had known that something was wrong that his father was not at the works in vain he had haunted office doors and corridors for a glimpse of a face that never appeared then had come the news 
that John Denby was ill. A paralyzing fear clutched the son's heart. Was this to be the end, then? Was Dad to die, and never to know, never to read his boy's heart? Was this the end of all hopes of some day seeing the old look of love and pride in his father's eyes? Then it would indeed be the end of everything. If Dad died, for what was the use of struggling, of straining every nerve to make good, if Dad was not to be there to know? It had been at this point that Burke, in spite of his hurt pride and of his very lively doubts as to the cordiality of his reception, had almost determined to go himself to the old home and demand to see his father. And then, just in time, had come Brett's wonderful message that his father wished to see him, and that he was not, after all, fatally or even seriously ill. Dad was not going to die then, and Dad wished to see him, wished to see him. Burke drew in his breath now again, and bounded up the great stone steps of Denby Mansion two at a time. The next minute, for the first time since his marriage, the summer before, he stood in the wide, familiar hallway. Benton, the old butler, took his hat and coat, and the way he took them had in all the flattering deference of the well-trained servant and the rapturous joy of the head of the house welcoming a dear wanderer home. Burke looked into the beaming old face and shining eyes, and swallowed hard before he could utter an unsteady, How are you, Benton? I'm very well, sir. Thank you, sir. And it's glad I am to see you, Master Burke. This way, please. The master's in the library, sir. Unconsciously, Burke then belifted his chin. A long-lost something seemed to have come back to him. He could not himself have defined it, and he certainly could not have told why at that moment he should suddenly have thought of the supercilious face of his hated boss at the works. Behind Benton's noiseless steps, Burke's feet sank into luxurious velvet depths. His eyes swept from one dear familiar object to another in the great, softly lighted hall, and leaped ahead to the open door of the library. Then somehow he found himself face to face with his father in the dear, well-remembered room. Well, Burke, my boy, how are you? They were the same words that had been spoken months before in the President's office at the Denby Iron Works, and they were spoken by the same voice. They were spoken to the accompaniment of an outstretched hand, too, in each case. But to Burke, who had heard them on both occasions, they were as different as darkness and daylight. He could not have defined it even to himself, but he knew the minute he grasped the outstretched hand and looked into his father's eyes that the hated, impenetrable, insurmountable wall was gone. Yet there was nothing said, nothing done, except a conventional, just a little matter of business, Burke, that I wanted to talk over with you from the elder man, and an equally conventional, yes, sir, from his son. Then the two sat down. But for Burke, the whole world had burst suddenly into song. It was indeed a simple matter of business. It was not even an important one. Ordinarily it would have been Brett's place, or even one of his assistants, to speak of it. But the president of the Denby Iron Works took it up point by point, and dwelt lovingly on each detail. And Burke, 
his heart one wild pian of rejoicing sat with a grave countenance listening attentively and when there was left not one small detail upon which to pin another word and when burke was beginning to dread the moment of dismissal john denby turned as if casually to a small clay tablet on the desk near him and burke following his father into a five thousand year old past to decipher a babylonian thumbprint lost all fear of that dread dismissal later came old benton with the ale and the little cakes that burke had always loved with the pressure of his thumb then john denby switched off half the lights and the two father and son sat down before the big fireplace with the cakes and ale between them on a low stand behind the century-old andirons the fire leaped and crackled throwing weird shadows over the beam ceiling the book-lined walls the cabinets of curios bringing out here and there a bit of gold tooling behind a glass door or a glinting flash from bronze or porcelain with a body at ease and a mind at rest burke leaned back in his chair with a long-drawn sigh each tingling sense ecstatically responsive to every charm of light and shade and luxury half an hour later he rose to go john denby too rose to his feet you'll come again of course the father said as he held out his hand for the first time that evening there was a faint touch of constraint in his manner suppose you come to dinner sunday will you surely i will and be glad with a swift surge of embarrassed color burke denby stopped short in one shamed shocked instant it had come to him that he had forgotten helen forgotten her not for a long hour had he even remembered that there was such a person in existence uh, uh, that is he began again stammeringly an odd expression crossed john denby's countenance you will of course bring your wife he said good night burke mumbled an incoherent something and fled the next moment he found himself in the hall with benton deferential and solicitous holding his coat again out in the crisp night air burke drew a long breath was it true had dad invited him to dinner next sunday and with helen what had happened had dad's heart got the better of his pride had he decided that quarrelling did not pay did this mean the beginning of the end was he ready to take his son back into his heart he had not said anything really he had just talked in the usual way as if nothing had happened but that would be like dad dad hated scenes dad would never say i'm sorry i was so harsh with you come back you and helen i want you and then fall to crying and kissing like a woman dad would never do that it would be like dad to just pick up the thread of the old comradeship exactly where he had dropped it months ago and that was what he had seemed to be doing that evening he talked just as he used to talk except that never once had he mentioned mother burke remembered this now and wondered at it it was so unusual in dad had he done it purposely was there a hidden meaning back of it he himself had not liked to think of mother lately yet somehow she seemed always to be in his mind in spite of himself he was always wondering 
what she would think of Helen. But surely Dad, with his thoughts in a dizzy whirl of excitement and questionings, Burke thrust his key into the lock and let himself into his own apartment. The hall never had it looked so hopelessly cheap and small. Burke, still under the spell of Benton's solicitous ministrations, jerked off his hat and coat and hung them up. Then he strode into the living room. Helen, fully dressed, was sitting at the table, reading a magazine. Hello. Sitting up, are you, chicken? He greeted her, brushing her cheek with his lips. I told you not to, but maybe it's just as well you did. I might have waked you, he laughed boyishly. Guess what's happened? Got a raise? Helen's voice was eager. Her husband frowned. No, I got one last month, you know. I'm getting a hundred now. What more can you expect in my position? He spoke coldly, with a tinge of sharpness. He was wondering why Helen always managed to take the zest out of anything he was going to say or do. Then, with an obvious effort at gaiety, he went on. It's better than a raised chicken. Dad's invited us to dinner next Sunday, both of us. To dinner? Only to dinner? Only to dinner? Great Caesar, Helen! Only to dinner? Well, I can't help it, Burke. It just makes me mad to see you jump and run and be so pleased over just the dinner when it ought to be for every dinner and all the time, and you know it. But, Helen, it isn't the dinner. It's that, that Dad cares. The man's voice softened and became not quite steady. That maybe he's forgiven me. That he's going to be now the old Dad that I used to know. Oh, Helen, I've missed him so. I've... But his wife interrupted tartly. Well, I should think twas time he did forgive you. And I'm not saying I think there was anything to forgive, either. There wouldn't have been if he hadn't tried to interfere what was our own business, yours and mine. There was a brief silence. Burke, looking very white and stern, had got to his feet and was moving restlessly about the room. Did you think he was giving in? asked Helen at last. He was very kind. What did you tell him? What do you mean? About the dinner Sunday. I don't know exactly. I said something like, yes, I think I, I meant it for yes. Then the man spoke with sudden, utter weariness. There was another brief silence. A dawning shrewdness was coming into Helen's eyes. Of course, yes. We'd want to go, she murmured. It might mean he was giving in, couldn't it? There was no reply. Do you think he was giving in? Still no reply. Helen scowled. Burke, why in the world don't you answer me, she demanded crossly. You were talkative enough a minute ago when you came in. I should think you might have enough thought of my interests to want us to go to live with your father, if there's any chance of it. And while twouldn't be my way to jump the minute he held out his hand, yet if this dinner really means that we'll be going up there to live pretty soon, why, Helen! Burke had winced visibly as if from a blow. Can't you see anything or talk anything but our going up there to live? It's enough for me that Dad just looked at me tonight with that old look in his eyes that somehow he's smashed that confounded wall between us. That, but what's the use? Never mind the dinner. We won't go. Nonsense, Burke. Don't be silly. Of course we're going. I wouldn't miss it for the world under the circumstances. And Helen, with an air of finality, rose to her feet to prepare for bed. Her husband, looking after her with eyes that were half resigned, half rebellious, for the second time that evening, 
gave a sigh of utter weariness and turned away they went to the dinner helen became really very interested and enthusiastic in her preparations for it and even burke after a time seemed to regain a little of his old eagerness they had to be sure nearly a quarrel over the dress and hat that helen wished to wear after some argument and not a few tears she yielded to her husband's none too gently expressed abhorrence of the hat in question which was a new one and of the dress one that he'd always disliked but i wanted to make a good impression pouted helen exactly so do i want you to returned her husband significantly and there the matter ended it was not a success that dinner helen intent on making her good impression very plainly tried to be admiring entertaining and solicitous of her host's welfare and happiness she resulted in being nauseatingly flattering pert and inquisitive john denby at first very evidently determined to give no just cause for criticism of his own behavior was the perfection of courtesy and cordiality even when later he was unable to quite hide his annoyance at the persistent and assiduous attentions and questions of his daughter-in-law he was yet courteous though in unmistakable retreat burke denby poor burke with every sense and sensitiveness keyed to instant response to each tone and word and gesture of the two before him each passing minute was to burke but a greater torture than the one preceding it long before dinner was over he wished himself and helen at home and as soon as was decently possible after the meal he peremptorily suggested departure i couldn't stand it i couldn't stand it another minute he told himself passionately as he hurried helen down the long elm-shaded walk leading to the street but dad dad was a brick and he asked us to come again again good heavens as if i'd go through that again it was so much worse there than at home but i'm glad he didn't put her in mother's chair i don't think even i could have stood that today well that's over murmured helen complacently as they turned into the public sidewalk and well over still i didn't enjoy myself so very much and i don't believe you did either she laughed else you wouldn't have been in such a taking to get away there was no answer helen however evidently sure of her ground did not seem to notice she yawned pleasantly guess i'm sleepy ate too much twas a good dinner and just as i told your father things always taste specially good when you don't get much at home i said it on purpose i thought maybe twould make him think still silence helen turned sharply and peered into her husband's face what's the matter she demanded suspiciously why are you so glum burke instantly alert to the danger of having another scene such as had followed gleason's first visit desperately ran to cover nothing nothing he essayed a gay smile and succeeded i'm stupid that's all maybe i'm sleepy myself it can't be you're put out cause we came away so early you suggested it yourself her eyes were still suspiciously bent upon him not a bit of it i wanted to come she relaxed and took her gaze off his face the unmistakable sincerity in his voice this last time had carried conviction hmm, i thought you did she murmured contentedly again still i was kind of scared when you proposed it 
I didn't suppose twas proper to eat and run. Mother always said so. Do you think he minded it, your father? Not a bit. Burke, in his thankfulness to have escaped the threatened scene, was unable to speak lightly, almost gaily. Hmm. Well, I'm glad. I wouldn't have wanted him to mind. I tried to be specially nice to him, didn't I? You did, certainly. Burke's lips came together a little grimly, but Helen's eyes were turned away, and after a moment's pause she changed the subject to her husband's infinite relief. End of chapter 8